Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. That's right, uh, live across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. It is the Michael Dukes Show. Every day, Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 a.m., we try and bring you the best. We try to educate, enlighten, and entertain all three, the three E's. This is not the three R's. This is the three E's. It's what we do every day here on the program, and we appreciate you coming in and joining us yet again today. So thank you for being part of the program. Don't forget, you can always participate in a couple different ways. First and foremost, you can drop us an email. The email address is me at michaeldukeshow.com, M-E at MichaelDukeShow.com. You can also <clears throat> you can also uh, drop us a uh, uh, a line in the chat room, which is available on a variety of places, including uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Every morning, as we simulcast the show, as well. So, if you want to, there's chat rooms associated with all three of those, and we can see your chats, and we will comment on them and read them and talk about them during the break and everything else. So uh, come on in and be be part of it with us. Just just come on in and enjoy join the conversation. Join the conversation. All right. Well, it's Tuesday, and that means it is time to discuss uh, the deep dive. That's right. We're going to do the weekly top three with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad is going to come in with us today, and we're going to talk about the headlines uh, and some of the big big stories that he believes are important for us. So today we're going to talk about uh, and get a little analysis of SB 199, which seems to be the chosen vehicle of the pro-government spend politicians. Now, you'll notice that I did not say Republicans or Democrats, because it seems like they're not breaking down along party lines. It seems like more and more this is getting to be a uh, a division of not left versus right, of not donkey versus elephant, of not uh, Democrat versus Republican, but instead it is a division of who wants to protect the government spend versus who wants to protect the private economy. That's really where the breakdown happens, and we're going to get a discussion on that, <clears throat> the analysis of 199, which seems to be... The proven or the chosen vehicle, rather, of the pro-government spend politicians out there. Uh, they see this as a way to end run the government, the governor's attempt to create a 50-50 PFD with a spending cap. Um, and uh, in doing so, this is after, of course, it's been decided and projected that uh, even with a full PFD payment of upwards of $3,700 
the state would still have a multi-billion dollar surplus, they've decided, of course, that they know better than us. They know better than us how to spend that money and just don't worry, it'll be fine. We'll take care of it for you. We'll put that money into the bank and we'll make it work for us. I you, I mean you. So we're going to talk about the analysis of SB 199. We're also going to talk about the end game in the legislature. As we continue and get close to wrapping up this session, what is the end game for this session? Brad Keithley will have some analysis on it. And finally, uh, if we have time, and I'm hoping we will, we'll get into a discussion of what is driving Alaskan oil pricing. Uh, what is part and parcel of that? And what does the future bring on that as well? So we're going to uh, we're going to continue discussing that here through this morning. A quick question out of the chat room. Any news on Beard Curler? We're a little bit behind on the Beard Curler Coffee, which is my own personal blend created by the geniuses over there at Alaskan Artisan Coffee in Palmer, had some supply chain issues, had some supply chain issues with a certain variety of bean that is used in creation of the beard curler. And we're still waiting on those beans to arrive. So I have no, I haven't had my own coffee in like a month and a half and I'm getting a little, I'm jonesing a little bit. I was working on some old, I had some old supply and I was waiting for some new stuff to give away and it just hasn't materialized yet. So we're working on that. Uh, so for those of you who are anxious to get yourself a cup of Joe, uh, that is going to be, um, it's good. You're going to have to wait on that. You're going to have to wait just a little bit on that because we're still waiting for the uh, Beard Curler coffee to hit us here uh, in the long run. Um, all right. So what else we got going on here? Uh, let's uh, continue some discussions. We've got, uh, so that was the three from Brad. Oh, then we're going to be doing life coaching with Chris Story. In hour two, Chris Dory, he's back, baby. I have no idea what he's going to talk about, but I'm sure it will be something good and restorative and enlightening and just all around uplifting. That's what it's going to, uh, that's what it's going to come down to. So we're going to uh, be doing that in hour two this morning as well. All right, uh, so some of the headlines. Uh, there's a few that we want to talk about here this morning as we uh, get uh, get things cranking and moving along. Uh, first and foremost, you know, we've been talking about the state of Alaska should be um, should be you know plugging some serious money into education um, for this ranked choice voting situation that we've got coming up this year. Not just the ranked choice, but also, of course, for the uh, Jungle primaries, as we should be, you know, as we're as we're moving forward on this. Uh, there's a story in the ADN this morning talking about how uh, there are a lot of different organizations that are going to be putting an effort out there to educate people, even though it may not be what they really wanted. They talk about the Alaska Republican Party and how they donated money to fight against the everything else, but that they are now working uh, around the state. To educate people, it's an informal campaign uh, from the Alaska Republican Party, getting a boost from the Republican National Committee, uh, and they are unveiling tra- uh, training sessions, uh, which are going on around the state. And of course, the big uh, messaging that's coming out from the Republicans is "Rank the Red." Uh, Rank the Red essentially says, "Look, don't throw away an opportunity here. Don't just because you don't like." the voting system, which, I mean, who does these days? 
just because you don't like the voting system doesn't mean the uh, that you just throw it all to the wayside. Uh, you need to make the most of the new system as it is, and that's where the rank the red thing comes together. The idea is to make sure that Republican voters maximize their leverage in the new system. The message is that Republicans can and likely should rank more than one candidate in the general election. And so essentially, you rank the Republicans in order of preference and you vote for your favorite candidate first, and then you just keep voting red until you can't go any further. That's the whole idea behind it. Uh, Anyway, they talk about this in the article. There are both conservative and progressive groups that are out there uh, doing their thing. Jason uh, Jason Gren is quoted from the... uh, uh, he is uh, one of the, uh, the Alaskas for Better Elections uh, who put all this stuff together uh, to begin with. And they said they're crisscrossing the state to help keep voters informed and to educate people uh, about that. They're working hard on it. And as, I've, uh, as I have said, I think the state really needs to pour a little money into this to educate the voters. Now, when I said pour a little money into it, I was thinking somewhere of the tune of, you know, probably – couple, three million bucks, because this is something that, well, there's a lot of confusion on it. There's a lot of confusion on it. And there's still, you know, there's still confusion on it uh, in and amongst even some of the, what we would consider to be super voters. Uh, The state division has its own campaign now for the special and regular elections. So far, it has spent $400,000 on voter education for the special primary. Although I don't know where i mean i i haven't seen i haven't personally seen anything so far i know some people received um mailer flyers that they got earlier in the year uh, i did personally did not get one um and i have uh four five four registered voters in my house and uh i did not get nobody got a, a postcard talking about it or anything else uh, but they spent $400,000 on voter education through the special primary so far, is what they're saying. Uh, that fig- figure will rise to cover mailers, they said. So apparently the 400000 had nothing to do with mailers. And they said they have another $385,000 budgeted for the regular election. But again, what did you spend the first $400,000 on? Because I, I mean... Seriously, I mean, I, when I when you said I thought millions of dollars would be spent on educating Alaska's voters. Nope, four hundred thousand, and I haven't seen a thing yet. I and I'm in the I mean I'm in the space right. I mean I'm a super voter. I'm there. I'm I'm educated myself on this stuff. Mover shaker, what's going on? Anyway, you can read this article over at the ADN if you want to take a look at it and talking about it. I'll post it up in the chat room. People can take a look at it there, yada, yada, yada. Uh, There was an interesting article from uh, one of our Common Sense Corps members, Cassie Lover, who lives down in Homer. Uh, She's a member of the Common Sense Corps, a listener to the program, and she has got a little piece here in uh, Must Read Alaska, which if you haven't read it, it's very interesting. She wanted to find out about... Um, you know, some of the comments that were made and quoted to Sarah Palin. Um, She said, uh, when I read an article stating that Sarah Palin called the Republican Party in Alaska a good old boys network, I had to ask if the statement was true. And she, her philosophy, she said, is if you have a question for someone, go ask them. So she met Sarah at the Fairbanks convention on Friday and Saturday. 
so Friday night, she came up to her and she approached her and told her how much she appreciated her service as governor and her run for vice president. And then she said, I read this article and wanted to know if she had called the Republican Party a good old boys network. Cassie says that Palin got defensive and said, it is a good old boys club with its backroom deals. Cassie said, what backroom deals? And Palin just kept saying, it's a good old boys club. She said, I told her I was a voting member of the party and had never been involved in or witnessed any backroom deals, and I asked her to please explain. She stated that no endorsement should be given until after the filing date, which, of course, is referencing Nick Begich's endorsement. She said, I explained to her that with ranked choice voting, we in the party were endorsing all Republicans who went through the process. All she said was the Republican Party is a good old boys club. She did not want to uh, did not want an endorsement from the party. And then her handlers took her back into the banquet. She said she never got an explanation on the whole bank backroom deals. Now, she said she's still going to rank Palin on the ballot if she's there, but Obviously, she's dissatisfied with that uh, with that soundbite moment, I guess, is what's uh, going on there. Uh, but uh, interesting article from Cassie Lover, again, in Mustard, Alaska. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. All right. Uh, on the break, coming up now, Brad Keithley. He's going to be joining us in just a moment. The weekly top three kicking off. We've got more happening. It is the Michael Luke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes on Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break. Um, good morning, my friends. How are you doing? Um, okay, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Lost weight, blood pressure, 124. Good for you. Good for you, Harold. Stay healthy. Grab a cup of hot, black, and bitter coffee, toss back an Advil, and enjoy. That's my, my daily ritual. Oh, man. Bird is a liberal Democrat. The same folks who sent JKT to Juno sent Bird. Figure it out. Sitka is 100% government-funded town. I know, but a, a guy can hope. A guy can hope, can he? A guy can hope. Um, Big oil, nickel, dollar, state funding, 4000 blah, blah, blah. Um, Terry says, have not seen one thing from the state. Thanks, Kevin Myers. Talking about the education. I mean, that's the thing. The educational component of this thing is a hot mess. $400,000 equals nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Alaska Ground website. Please join us for a presentation on Alaska's new election process. Jason Gren, of, executive director of ABE, and Gail Finuami of Alaska's Division of Elections will explain the new system. Well, it, where is all this stuff? Where is all this stuff? Okay, uh, let's, uh, I guess we'll get the Zoom meeting put together here for Brad. And uh, we will uh, see if we can get him ready to rock and roll. I'd really hope Sarah would be a good candidate, says Kenneth, but not impressed so far. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of, um, I think, the general consensus that I've gotten out of this so far. 
is that that's what most people are feeling. There's a few people out there that are definitely pro-Palin as opposed to anybody else. And like I said, I, you know, if she's up in the top, so be it. Compared to anybody else, I mean, um, there, there's not there's not a whole lot of super uber conservative candidates out there right now. Uh, and that's the bottom line. All right, we're getting uh, over to the um, or getting over to the uh, uh, discussion now with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He uh, is uh, ready to join us. Hey, look at that! I can see you. Can I hear you? Good morning, Michael. I can hear you. My gosh! All right. Okay. Good. We're we're getting better at this. It's it's not not too bad. Not too bad at all. So hey, have you seen some of this four hundred thousand dollars in money they've already spent <laughs> about educating people on ranked choice? No, but I got to admit, I pick up my snail mail maybe once every month, um, and I don't, and I sort of sort the political stuff out quickly. So I'm not sure I'm the best candidate for having seen that. Yeah, well, I, I just got to be honest. I mean, you know, I would keep a card. If they sent me a card talking about ranked choice voting, I would keep it. And like I said, I got four registered voters in my house. You think that they would send it to at least one of us, right? I mean, that uh, that would seem to make a sense. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe maybe you're just too good a super voter. Maybe maybe, maybe. they're trying to reach. The, oh yeah, that's uh, the right. Non-super voter. This guy doesn't need to know about it. He already he already understands it. So we'll send this card off to somebody else. Okay. Well, it's. Um, I got to be honest. I I I think it's going to be a total train wreck with people who just have never you know who've never never thought about this. They don't even really know what's going on. It's going to be an interesting thing. I guess we'll we'll see what that looks like there. Yeah, I think that I think the real key is people who are going to walk in in the primary expecting to rank choice vote, they're going to find that they're limited to one vote. I mean, that the, the, the primary is a one vote situation and then you rank choice later on and uh, or in the general. And I think that's going to be a surprise to people. And I, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to handle it, but I think that uh, that may be the that may be a problem. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Um, anyway, it's uh it's interesting. Like I said, I think it behooves the state. I think they should be, uh, I think they should be, you know, responsible for putting some kind of educational message out there. I'm glad that the that the different parties and the different groups are, but I think it would be, um, I think it would be good if the state would pony up on that as well. All right, well, hold the line, Brad. I'm going to be right back to you here. We're going to jump back into this. Brad Keithley is going to be our guest. The weekly top three. We're about to kick it off. Please like and share, like and share, like and share this video, like and follow the show page, and uh, make sure you hit subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. We're kicking things off. It is the weekly top three. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is uh, about to join us and uh, and kick things off for our deep dive into the important stuff that uh, we need to talk about. And we're going to start things off this morning by dissecting SB 199, which I, as I mentioned earlier, seems to be the vehicle of choice for the pro-government spend crowd in the legislature, uh, you notice I'm not saying left or right or Democrat or Republican because that's where the dividing line, it seems to be. It's the pro-private sector, protect the private sector crowd versus protecting the public sector crowd. And the public sector folks uh, are in love with this bill. 
They're seeing it as a way to end run around a lot of what the governor has been proposing while putting hooks and caveats into this into the years moving forward. I don't know exactly how we're getting away with this whole, um, you know, this uh, this caveated language where they they make everything contingent on something that's going to happen years down the road. But let's uh, get Brad Keithley's take on this. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing today? You know, not too bad. Um, so, I mean, I guess maybe can you comment on that before you dive into the meat of what you want to talk about? You know, we, we'd never seen this really before until about two years ago where they started hanging contingencies on all these different bills. Well, this bill will pass if something else happens in this session or next session or down the road or this is kind of the what if scenario. And and I think it's 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 reaching perilously close on binding one legislature over to another. And I don't know exactly how they're getting away with it, but do you have any comments on that before we jump into the meat of this? Well, it's sort of a Burt special, and, and it probably probably predated Burt as well, but I noticed he's used this several times since, oh, 2008, 2009, 2010, when I first started following the legislature uh, very closely. Um, and it's sort of it's sort of how he does things. It doesn't bind future legislatures because, you know, you can enact it. To, to, it's a statute for one thing. You can enact it today, and the and a future legislature can ignore it. Uh, you can uh, you can enact it today, and a future legislature can repeal it or change it or modify it. Um, it's more. It, it is. It's sort of a statutory version, an attempt at a statutory version of it of of intent language. Uh, right. We, we sort of hope that future legislatures will 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 do this uh, if we if we do that. But we're going to go ahead and do that, um, and uh, and we'll sort of we'll sort of count on future future legislatures to do something else. I mean, it, you can look at the PFD as the same sort of thing. PFD was passed in 1982. Legislature said uh, we hope that uh, uh, you know we, we're going to pass this statute. We intend for the statute to be followed. Uh, we expect future legislatures to follow it and then future and then beginning in 2016, 2017, the legislatures haven't followed it. But it's a it's a Burt deal. Um, I, I've noticed it uh, mostly when uh, when he's uh, crafting language. Right. Somehow he gets involved and all of a sudden it gets all these bells and whistles and hooks attached to it. It's it's uh, well, it's frustrating to me to watch, but I guess that's what it is. So let's anyway, let's talk about SB 199. Um, it is again, the chosen vehicle. This is the one they seem to be rolling with 50, 50, the first year, 25, 75 for the next four years until we discover 800 million in new revenue, apparently. Uh, and then it goes back to 50, 50, but this thing's got to go to the floor and it's going to have to survive a lot of amendment processes to get through it. What, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? Give me your, give me your take on 199. Well, this is a bad bill. I mean, it's a it, it's a it started out as a bad bill uh, uh, when it was first introduced. It was in, introduced as a as a comparison piece to a Senate Bill 200, which had another approach to the PFD, um, and it stayed a bad bill all the way through. It says in the preamble that it's an implementation of the fiscal policy working group uh, recommendations, <laughs> but it is far from it is far from that. The fiscal policy working group said. And this is in their conclusion. Fiscal Policy Working Group believes the legislature must pass a comprehensive solution. Fiscal Policy Working Group members do not support addressing only one or two issues to the exclusion of others. The Fiscal Policy Working Group believes addressing these issues as a comprehensive solution solves not only a fiscal challenge, but a political challenge as well. Well, this bill 
does not remotely touch on several of the pieces uh, of the uh, of the that the work, fiscal policy working group did. For example, it doesn't have a constitutional protection for the PFD. It doesn't include a spending cap. It doesn't include other things that the fiscal policy working group recommended. What it does do is cut the PFD uh, permanently, but 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 or cut the PFD, but makes that contingent on coming up with some new revenues, which is the new revenues part is consistent with what the fiscal policy working group said, but the new revenues they want is far are far in excess of what's necessary to balance the budget if you use uh, POMV 5050. So it is far from uh, a, an implementation of the, uh, of the fiscal policy uh, working group. Right. It doesn't have all the plans, it cherry picks Cherry picks pieces uh, uh, of the uh, of the plan, the plan that, as you say, the pro government spenders uh, uh, find to their advantage, and then it leaves behind uh, all of the pieces that uh, that that others found important uh, in crafting a full fiscal policy uh, uh, solution. Right, and again, picking picking the pieces. This is exactly what the fiscal policy working group warned about. Uh, it wasn't just the PFD. It wasn't just new revenues. It wasn't just cuts in spending. And a spending limit. I mean, these those were all things that were part and parcel of it. And they picked like two out. Like we're going to take the PFD and we're going to take new revenues. And even like you said, the eight hundred million dollars in revenues that that they're asking for. Uh, I think the number that came out of the fiscal policy working group was somewhere around two hundred million dollars that they talked about in new revenues, plus some cuts, plus some new oil taxes. I mean, it was kind of a whole. You know, the 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 all around approach was uh, was a little broader than what they've got here. Well, the fiscal policy working group talked about five to seven hundred million dollars in new revenues, offset by uh, roughly two hundred million dollars in spending cuts uh, uh, developed over, uh, as the as the fiscal policy working group said, developed over multiple years. So a net, a net of somewhere in the neighborhood of three hundred to five hundred million dollars between the new revenues and the uh, in the spending cuts. Um, this talks about $800 million in new revenue. I mean, it picks a number that's not even in the fiscal policy working group recommendation. Uh, talks about $800 million, doesn't talk about spending cuts. So it's a net of $800 million. The analysis we've done of, of POMV 5050 shows that over the 10 years, using current uh, uh, oil market futures, the current futures prices, what people are in putting money on uh, uh, to uh, in expectation of what the prices are going to be in the future, adjusting spending for, for current inflation rates, which are higher than, uh, than the administration used to net. So we're, we're getting spending up to, to reflect uh, what the expectations of our, our inflation. POMV 50, making those adjustments, POMV 5050 shows a net surplus between now and, and FY30, a net surplus uh, a net uh, a budget surplus of $2.4 billion. So if you look at it over the eight-year period, you don't need any additional revenues to implement uh, POMB 5050. Even in the last year, even in, in, in FY30, the net deficit of POMB 5050 is $400 million. So even if you're looking at this bill, and, and this bill implements the $800 million in two years, so you're, you're, you know, you're running up surpluses uh, uh, on top of surpluses uh, uh, in the in the early years, but even if you look at this bill as trying to set the revenue requirement, trying to trying to establish the revenues needed in by FY30 by using uh, uh, POMB 5050, you're still double uh, the revenues they need. So 
what you know the, the way I view what they're doing with this revenue with this revenue requirement is sort of an exit fee. You get out of the jail of POMB twenty five seventy five uh, if you pay this eight hundred million dollar exit fee, but the exit fee is is far in excess of what's required. So you know I would even oppose that exit fee. Uh, because it's just way too much. You're putting way too, you're draining way too much out right. of the out of the, the private sector and putting way too much uh, in government. You're creating government surpluses on on top of well, surpluses. And so I, I view this exit fee as more a a a poison pill, if you will, that that they're they're sort of you know they're doing POMB twenty five. We'll tell you that you know we've got this intent to go to POMB's fifty fifty. Uh, at some point in the future, but the price we're going to put on how you get to POMB fifty fifty is so high that you'll never enact it. So, right. so guess yeah. what? We win. We get to well, POMB twenty five seventy five in perpetuity because under the bill, if you don't if you don't have those additional revenues by the end of twenty four, I think it is um, twenty twenty four, then you never. Go back to POMB fifty. Right. The 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 bill locks in at POMB twenty five seventy five. So it's a it it is, it's disingenuous, right. To say that this bill is an implementation of the of the fiscal policy working group, and it's disingenuous to say that this bill really sets up going back to POMB fifty fifty because it puts in a poison pill that you'll never exercise. Well, and it has the added benefit again of feeding into this false narrative that the uh, a lot of the pro spend. Uh, pro-government uh, folks have got that basically says, oh, do you want to trade a, a tax for your PFD? Because again, that's what they're tying it all to. They're tying it all to these new forms of revenue, which is, of course, the assumption is it will be some form of taxation. And so that's that's the thing. It feeds right back into that narrative of, do you want to, do you want a tax or do you want a PFD? And that's kind of, uh, it's helping feed that whole thing. It is. And it's, um, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on the show, even at POM, certainly at the statutory PFD, even at POMB 5050 by the late 2020s and by FY 2030, uh, you, you're running deficits. You, you do need alternate revenues in order to avoid uh, PFD cuts uh, in those years. So it, it, it is, it is, um, it, it is, it is correct in the same way that the fiscal policy working group talked about it. If you're going to have a PFD of a certain size, you're going to need alternate revenues to fill in the, to fill in the gaps. But because they're, because they put this $800 million price tag on it, uh, they've made it seem like you have to enact so much in new taxes that, you know, that you'd never, you would never want to, you'd never be able successful in, uh, in being able to pass those to, uh, to uh, sustain the, sustain the PFD. Again, from the from my old corporate lawyer days, this is this is the equivalent of a poison pill. You put in a provision that you know no one will ever pursue uh, because it's just it, you know it's it's, right. it's a ridiculous provision. Well, and the bottom line is is that it's really toothless in the long run. Like you said, disingenuous because again, this is all statutory. They could say this this year, they could pass, and then next year they could go. Well, you know. We thought that, but of course, such circumstances have changed, and so now we've decided we can't do that after all. Because, and since it's a statute, we can do whatever the hell we want. I mean, that's really the whole—that's the bottom line disingenuousness of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fig leaf. I am, I am really surprised to tell you the honest gosh truth. I am really surprised uh, at how Peter Macecki was quoted on this bill 
uh, in the ADN article. Uh, it starts out and says, uh, Senate President Peter Macecki said a vote could take place as soon as next week. It is very important, depending upon any amendments that happen in this bill, this is the cornerstone of a fiscal plan. Well, if this is the cornerstone of a fiscal plan that he has in mind, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure. Macecki and I are on this um, on the same right. wavelength. It's, it's the cornerstone of a fiscal plan that uh, that that, as you say, uh, secures uh, revenues for for those who want to right. not only continue. I mean, this doesn't only continue government spending. This 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 expands and encourages resources right. for, yeah. for government spending by by substantial amounts. Yeah, absolutely. It's like your cornerstone is built uh, a big uh, 4,000 square foot McMansion on the edge of the beach with the sand washing away underneath. That's the kind of foundation we're talking about here. Um, all right, well, let's move on to number two, uh, Brad. Uh, give me a tease here and we'll come back to it. We're going to discuss what is the end game, right? Give me a, give me a quick tease. So Tim Bradner had has an article in uh, the Fairbanks or in the, uh, uh, excuse me, the Matsu Frontiersman uh, that uh, uh, that's a pretty good summation of, of where uh, he sees this legislature uh, coming out uh, within the three, in, in the three weeks that they have left. And it excludes some things that I've been concerned about uh, that I find uh, comforting that uh, are not in his list. Um, uh, but uh it, ha- it has some things that, that, uh, that I want to talk about uh, as, as, as we wind down these three weeks. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We're about to jump uh, into the break, and when we come back, we'll continue with the weekly top three. This will be number two of the top three, and we will continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based Free Thinking Radio. It's what we try and do every day right here on the program. We'll be back with more and Brad Keithley right after these messages. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American Radio. Okay, we're in the break. Brad Keithley. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the Rolo Fiddle Festival. We got to. <laughs> I see you. I see you're representing the Rolo Bay Fiddle Festival. Uh, just your way of supporting the local communities during the COVID lockdown. I'm assuming. One of the one of the ways that uh, I, I kept uh, helping artists during the uh, during the lockdown was to buy merch, uh, and I've now got a collection of hoodies, or sweatshirts, or T-shirts from. All of the festivals and all right. of the performers that uh, that that I wanted to support through uh, through uh, COVID lockdown, so yeah. you know, I could roll them out. I know I could, every I week, every, do every entire year's worth of, uh, of of advertising on here, right? With the, with the teacher. every week, we're talking about a new band or a new organization or a new festival. Does that say 99th annual? Man, that's been around for a while. Um, so, so, it hasn't been around that long. It's been around a while, but. Uh, I can't read upside down. So okay. All right. It, it, it is, it is in a beautiful place uh, on Prince Edward Island uh, on the, uh, on the, the South end of Prince Edward Island. That's uh, just a, a gorgeous place and a gorgeous place to have a festival. All right. Well, good. Well, we're all dreaming of being able to get out and get away this summer and do some things for the first time in a long time. So it's, uh, it's good to know. Um, Brad, uh, <clears throat> I got to, uh, you know, I got to know, I read the same thing when, as I was reading this article in the ADN about the new formula and everything, 
And the comments from Machiki on this is, it, you know, somehow this is what we've been looking for. This is this is the answer. This is the solution. Um, and the problem is, of course, is that the solution has come across the floor several times in the last couple of years. We could have just committed to something. We could have just committed to the full PFD. We could have committed to uh, fighting and working towards a constitutional amendment for the PFD. I mean, there's been several other things. This seems like a pretty flimsy thing for the Senate president to want to hang his hat on. Yeah, it's 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 almost, Michael, it's almost like I want to claim victory over something. You know, it's, it's almost like the George Bush appearance uh, on the aircraft carrier saying, you know, <laughs> mission accomplished. Right. Uh, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Doesn't seem to really matter what the heck the, what, what the heck the bill says is I just want to claim victory. I want to claim that, you know, while I was Senate president, I accomplished uh, a fiscal solution. But it's a horrible, it's a horrible solution. I mean, uh, POMB 2575 produces a $10 billion surplus over the eight years between FY23 and FY30. It drains out of the Alaska private sector economy. $10 billion shifts that over to, uh, shifts that over to, uh, over to government. That's more than a billion dollars a year on average in uh, in in the transfer of money in the private sector over to uh, over to uh, the government sector, it's a horrible bill, and 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 there's no need for it, um, uh, given the projections that we now have on oil prices, even given the projections we have on inflation, there's no need for it. But it's just, I want to declare victory. I want to say we got this accomplished. Right. So, right. Yeah. I I I don't know what I don't know what Peter's doing, but it's not it's not it's not something I would have suggested he do. Uh, about two minutes here before we rejoin. So let you know, let's you know, let me slide you into the shoes of some of these legislators. Give me your thoughts on maybe the mindset of the process. As you said, we've got a projected surplus. We could pay the 50-50, no problem. I mean, not the statutory because that creates other problems, but if it's 50-50, at least they could pay that with no problem, still have monies left over and, and, and moving on. What I mean, what is the thought process here? Is it just we need to protect 10 years down the road or we need to make sure the government always has their hand in the till? Or what is the what, what do you think? I think. I think it's a couple of things. One is, I think there is a concern about oil prices going back down. I mean, we've had a history of oil prices going up, oil prices going back down. And I think there's a concern about oil prices going back down and they don't want to, and they, and they want to build up some cushion and they don't want to get locked into what they think are, uh, are, are unreasonable uh, uh, financial commitments uh, if oil prices go back down. I think the other thing that's going on is, is frank, and this sort of is from the Natasha standpoint, it's frankly, we've come to a moment in time where maybe we can kill the PFD uh, or at least get it down to the minimus levels like 2575. We've come to that moment in time. Let's not let that get away from us. Let's continue the rhetoric. Let's continue the arguments that we've been using up to this point, regardless of what's happened to oil prices. Let's get the PFD taken out. Right, and I think I think to some degree Natasha uh, and others uh, of, of that mindset, uh, that's where they're going. So it's a combination of it's a combination of those two: concern that oil prices may not, you know, may not play out the way the futures market says they're going to play out, and so we got to be careful. Plus, you know, the, the 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 desire of some to go ahead and kill the PFD, even even if the facts don't support it anymore. Right. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, if you're enjoying the program, do me a favor. Please like it and share the program. 
Don't forget to like and follow the Facebook page as well to get notifications when we go live or for your YouTube user. Hit the subscribe button and ring the bell. If you're watching us on Twitch, hit the follow, uh, and we're going to get back into it. We're five, six, seven seconds out right now. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. The Weekly Top 3 continues right now. All right. Uh, rejoining now, we're talking with uh, Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, and we're talking about the weekly top three. We just kind of went in through SB 199, and we got a quick tease on the end game for this session. Uh, Brad was talking about an article in the Frontiersman lining out some of those ideas. All right, Brad. So give us your thoughts on what the end game is for the end of this session. Well, Tim Bradner has a good uh, has a good piece on on where he thinks what he thinks uh, uh, legislative legislatively is going to survive uh, uh, or legislatively be accomplished over the remaining three weeks of the session. Um, bills that are in one ha- one one body have not yet crossed over to the other body uh, are uh, uh, are going to are going to be you know headed upwind, uh, fighting headwinds to uh, to try to get past. It's not say it's, it's not to say it's impossible, but uh, uh, if it took you this far into the session to get it out of one body, crossing over into the other body, and then the hearings that have to go on, the committee hearings, committee assignments, committee hearings that have to go on uh, before it gets back to the uh, gets back to the to the other body, gets up to the other body, uh, is a is a fairly strong headwind. The two things I've been focused on are the are the from a fiscal standpoint uh, are the uh, uh, the retire the the, the defined benefits uh, proposal uh, that's come out of House Finance has passed the uh, has passed the House and crossed over into the Senate, um, and in the defined benefits for you know firemen and police and others, uh, first responders essentially. But really, that's just the crack in the door to open it for uh, other government employees. Uh, teachers will quickly be behind it, and others behind uh, others behind that. Um, and then the uh, and then and then there's another uh, fiscal bill that uh, that I've been uh, concerned about as well, uh, the BSA adjustment that would adjust the BSA permanently going forward. Um, those, in, interestingly, those aren't on Tim's list as uh, as what he sees uh, likely getting out of the legislature uh, by the uh, by the end of the session. Uh, that means that he's expecting some headwind, some slowdown when it hits the Senate. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a good thing. I think those, I think the house, it, those have been messaging bills by the house members to sort of show that, you know, they're prepared to go forward with all this spending, all this additional spending, new spending, layering on new spending on top of, uh, on top of old spending. Uh, I think it's a good sign that maybe the Senate wants to, wants to slow that down a little bit. There's also maybe the Senate is protecting the governor a little bit. Those are two bills that I would, that I would think. Uh, would get uh, veto consideration uh, if they came up to the governor again because we don't have a long-term fiscal plan in place, right? Um, and, and and why are we committing to additional spending because we don't have we haven't settled the revenues issue, um, and maybe the Senate's protecting the governor a little bit. But but it, it was encour- It's encouraging to me to see that uh, those didn't uh, those didn't make Tim's list. The other article that I think is uh, worthy of mention in this is uh, Revenue Commissioner Lucinda Mahoney had an op-ed piece 
uh, in the ADN and uh, and elsewhere, talking about uh, you know the, 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 from the fiscal standpoint that this is Alaska's opportunity to to get things done, and 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 I guess I view it as sort of the administration's final pitch before we get into these last three weeks of what uh, of what the administration would like. But it's just a rehash of the of the old stuff, which is you know spending caps, constitutionalization of the PFD, constitutionalization of the POMB draw moving the CBR into the, into the um, PFD or moving the earnings rather into the, into the permanent fund. So uh, you sort of lock away uh, money that way. Things that the governor has proposed in the past that really haven't gone anywhere in right. either body. Right. Uh, uh, this, uh, this session. <coughs> so it's sort of a, I mean, if that's the governor's final, if that's the administration's final pitch on the, uh, on the fiscal front, uh, it's a pretty weak one uh, and sort of makes you wonder, you know, what the hell, what they think is, is really accomplishable or if, if like the house, maybe one second, or if like the house, maybe um, they're just going into messaging mode now. Right. They're just going to say, this is uh, well, these, these are the mess the fiscal messages we want. Well, I got to say that one of the things that uh, that really startled me about this article that was uh, that was pertinent here is that uh, she says uh, now is the time to convert the Alaska Permanent Fund to a true endowment fund and constitutionally limit the change to the endowment will protect the permanent fund for future. Gen- I mean, it, it, I get really nervous when they start talking about changing the whole endowment thing. And maybe that's is that the cover that they're talking about for putting it in the Constitution is to call it an endowment fund instead. I mean, instead of calling it a dividend. Now it's going to be an endowment. I mean, it, it kind of changes the whole shape of it. No, she, I think she, I think that part's talking. I don't think that's talking about the PFD. I think that's talking about the fund itself, moving right? the, the, the earnings reserve into the PFD, which right. is a part of the governor's or uh, the earnings reserve into the permanent fund, which is a part of the governor's uh, governor's proposal. Basically it's a, it's a backward spending cap, right? If you take money out of the earnings reserve in the and the and the legislature do, can't go get it as a as a spending supplement or as a revenue supplement, then you somehow right. help cap uh, their ability to spend. Right so by earning, I think that's, <clears throat> I, I, by moving the earnings reserve into the corpus and zeroing it out. Essentially, the only money's deposited in there every year would be the earnings of that year, and so they couldn't di- they couldn't dig deeper into it. Is what you're saying? Right, right. There would you wouldn't it wouldn't be a savings account that they could go draw on. Right. There is one other there is one other thing in Tim Bradner's uh, piece that I found, you know, understandable, but I found it disturbing. Uh, Tim's got his got his fingers on the pulse of the legislature, and he he has for a long, long time, uh, and and is really a good source to go to when you're trying to figure out what the legislature truly is thinking. And he's got two paragraphs in here. There's little talk of this year of a full dividend or one paid according to a formula in the 19 in a 1980s era statute that is now considered obsolete. If a full dividend were paid this year, it would be over $4,000, according to estimates of the Legislative Finance Division. With oil prices currently over $100 a barrel, that could be afforded this year, Right. the Finance Division has told legislative committees, but it would leave less money for a long list of urgent needs such as $600 million needed next year to start the reconstruction of Anchorage's port, which is badly corroded and in danger of falling. The, the phrase that, that really, I think, got my attention was paid according to a formula in a 1980s era statute that is now considered obsolete. I don't consider it obsolete. 
Uh, right. but, but, you know, Tim, as I say, has his finger on the pulse of, uh, of, of a lot of legislators. And, uh, and, and I suspect that's replic that's, that's reflecting what, uh, what he's hearing from, uh, from legislators. Okay. We got about four and a half minutes here. So final thoughts, uh, on the wind down here on number two, we'll give a chance to give a number three tease before we go to the break, but, uh, final thoughts on the end game for this legislature. I think the end game is they'll get some more bills passed, but it doesn't, at least according to Tim's article, it doesn't look like it's going to be the fiscal bills that have concerned me. Um, the administration seems like they're, you know, they've laid out their agenda for the end game, which is sort of nothing, which is sort of, you know, do what you haven't done. <laughs> continue, can, let us continue talking about the things that you haven't done uh, and aren't going to do uh, in these final three weeks. And, you know, and, and we'll use that as our campaign theme. Right. And I think that's it. I think a lot of these people want to get out and get on the trail because now it's the time. So many of these other bills may fall by the wayside once they get the PFD and the and the budget bills out. That'll pretty much be the end of it at this point. Yeah. One thing to look out for is is Bert's strategy. I mean, remember last year, Bert held the bills right until the very end in order to put pressure on everybody uh, to uh, to uh, 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 get uh get out uh, uh, in order to pass what his version of what he wanted before they could go home. Uh, and Bill and Bert still hasn't released the operating budget nor the capital budget out of Senate finance. The only thing that's come out is the PFD bill. Right. So one, one thing to look for is whether Bert starts on his, uh, on his strategy move of putting everybody in a corner again. Yeah. We'll be watching for that. All right. Uh, got about two minutes here. Uh, give us a quick tease for number three. Uh, and maybe just a thumbnail, and that, of course, is the discussion on what is driving Alaskan oil prices right now, uh, and this includes uh, Alaska Journal of Commerce article from Elwood Bremer. Elwood does a great job, I think, of, of ferreting out uh, what's going on with Alaska oil prices compared to Brent prices. Now, we know generally what's pushing oil prices up uh, and, and, and what's uh, controlling oil prices. But Alaska prices have separated from Brent prices in the last few weeks, uh, and Alaska is now commanding a premium uh, over Brent, which is important because every every dollar contributes, you know, eighty million dollars additional in revenue to the state. So if we're running ahead of Brent, we're running ahead of the market. Uh, we're, uh, we're 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 you know we're we're in a better position than. Uh, than, than where we usually are, which is tied to Brent or a discount to Brent somehow. Right. And Elwood's article does does an excellent job outlining what that is. All right. Well, good. We'll uh, we'll get that take. Uh, we got less than a minute here. What are you watching for? Are you watching for the discussion on 199 on the floor this week, or what are you expecting to be watching? I am. I'm going to be watching closely the the, the discussion on 199. I, I'm, I'm prepared to be surprised at some disappointed at some senators and surprised at others. Well, I think it's interesting because, again, this bill did not have a guaranteed number of votes to pass on the floor when it came out, which is unusual. And that means that there's certainly going to be some fighting on the floor as to the various uh, uh, amendments that we may see on this. And we might, who knows, we might be, somebody might be able to uh, hijack this bill and do something good with it, but I'm going to hold my breath and, uh, uh, see what we can come up with. It's already been quoted. Tom Begich has said they may reduce the amount. They may do all different kinds of stuff. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaska's for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board today. We appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we're out of time. we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. We'll have a little bit of open line in the first segment. And then Christopher Story comes in. 
to give us our weekly life coaching lesson. Been a while since we've talked to him, so we're looking forward to that. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show. All right. Brad Keithley continues with us here. All right, Brad, expand on that a little bit. I mean, again, uh, we're seeing Alaska normally, the ANS uh, crude normally trails behind Brent. Um, and uh, and now we're, I think at one point it was $9 difference between uh, Brent and and uh, and, and uh, ANS. Or, <clears throat> and so uh, that's a, you know, again, uh, we're, we can make hay while the sun shines if, we got the, uh, if we've got the foresight to, to see it and make it work. Well, this is this is of special interest to budget or to, to oil. All right, Brad, you just locked up there. <clears throat> Perfect time to lock up, though. At least it wasn't on the air. Um, Brad has just now locked uh, completely up. Um, he said oil nerds. That was the thing. Oil nerds, and then everything died. Uh, so Brad is uh, oh, no. up. There we go. You My- said. Am I back? Yeah, you said you said oil nerds and the whole world locked up. That was the thing. Apparently, you're not supposed to say that. So what's it? What's interesting, especially to oil nerds? What was it? Well, so um, usually ANS trades at a at a discount to Brent uh, over the past few years. Uh, at one point, it was tied. Long ago in the past, it was t- tied to WTI, West Texas Intermediate, the U.S. Uh, uh, oil price, and then. Uh, once we were able to trade, uh, sell ANS uh, overseas, uh, it got tied to Brent and has been has been you know one or two or three dollar discount to Brent over time. Since um, since the Ukraine though, uh, it has gradually uh, increased. Uh, the, the the discount to Brent has 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 narrowed, and in the past few weeks, uh, ANS has exceeded uh, Brent. And what's going on, evidently, according to this excellent article. Elwood, what's going on is that as Russian crude has been taken off uh, and is no longer uh, being coming into the U.S. West Coast, uh, ANS is being is being pursued now by West Coast refineries um, as the preferred alternative or as the next best alternative to Russian uh, crude. And because of that increased demand for it, not only the demand for ANS as as it existed before, but but now as a substitute for Russian crude, uh, as, that, as that demand has increased, the price has increased. Um, if that's true, if that's what's going on, uh, that, should, that should last uh, for uh, a fairly long period, as long as, um, as long as Russian crude is locked down, prevented from being imported, um, and, and perhaps until maybe there's another uh, next best developed uh, Guiana crude or other crudes that are that are coming on the market, but that sort of that sort of premium is significant to oil price nerds because it, it tells you that when you look at Brent numbers, uh, you've got to add a little as opposed to subtracting a little bit as we've done uh, in the past uh, few years. You got to add a little bit, and uh, and if that if that difference is persistent, that means more revenues uh, for the state going forward. The, the, the state's forecast is, is a Brent forecast. It's, it's, it's the Brent price. Right. Um, and so you're always, uh, you're always thinking, okay, it's a little bit off. We're going to be a little bit off that because of the discount. Now, if this, if this development is persistent, we're going to be thinking, oh, it's a little bit above uh, that forecast price because of the premium that ANS is going gonna, is gonna to command over Brent. 
Well, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see. And of course, it's always the crystal ball effect. We don't, we can't say exactly how. But now that the United States has basically outlawed all Russian energy imports, and it's been concurred with by Congress uh, until essentially, I don't know, Russia completely pulls back within their borders. They disarm. I mean, there's there's a variety of factors there, but effectively, it's the lockdown until a president says no more. Um, so it is this way, at least for the foreseeable future. And we're making up for a significant uh, a deficit on the West Coast. I think Bremer says something like 50 million barrels of Russian crude compared to normally 30 million in ANS. So we've got a hole to fill. And if it's coming in at a premium, we've got a chance to make some money. Yeah, exactly right. And, <clears throat> and we have occasionally over the past few years, I track this fairly closely and do a chart on Sundays that, that, that show the destination of the, of the ANS for that week uh, or for that month rather. Um, and We've had a situation over the past few months where a, a, car, a cargo or two of ANS has gone to Asia, has gone to China uh, on a fairly regular basis. And, and what's been going on is COVID, COVID shut down the, the, the West Coast market for a while. As it's gradually come back, it's not come back to the levels it used to be. So we've had sort of surplus ANS, if you will, that, that we've sent over to China uh, to be absorbed there. So what's going on now is it looks like that ANS is being pulled back to the to the West Coast, and as you say, pulled back at a premium uh, over uh, over Russian crude. And that's as I say to oil price nerds, uh, that's a that's a significant development and one that needs to be factored in in the projections going forward. All right, well we'll keep an eye out for that and see what it does. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. You'll be watching for SB. Are you going to like live tweet or anything as you watch this, or are you just going to be following along and then comment afterwards? Well, there will be. Uh, I'm sure I'll have uh, have uh, posts uh, about SB 199 as it goes uh, as it goes along. I've had several posts uh, already uh, since uh, the Senate Finance passed it on Thursday. So follow uh, follow uh, 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 Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets either on uh, Facebook or on Twitter. Uh, if you want to want to see our uh, our thoughts on the on the bill as it as it progresses, Brad Keithley, thank you so much, my friend. As always, it's a pleasure to speak with you, and we will look forward to seeing what you have to say next week. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Oof. Okay. Good. Hey, look at that. We held together the entire time, right up to the end. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. All right, folks, we got more coming up. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. We're going to continue open line, open forum. We've got some discussions and some phone calls, and then we're going to jump into it with Chris Story. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. 
We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Broadcasting live around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeshow.com. Hey, how are you? Welcome back to the program. Thanks for coming in and joining us. We are ready to go for hour two of the Big Tuesday broadcast. And uh, that's when we uh, get into it here in just a bit with Chris Story, the man from Homer, for our weekly life coaching lesson. But first and foremost, let's uh, take some phone calls and see what you have to say. We're going to do open line here for this segment uh, just to get your take on the things that Brad talked about or anything else. Let's uh, head on over to the phones, and we'll start over there this morning uh, with some callers. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, this is Ray at North Pole. Hello, Ray. What's on your mind, sir? Yeah, you know, these legislators, they just aren't listening to the voters. I mean, all the pe- all the legislators on the left need to go. And... Uh, it seems to me this let's make a deal BS with this 50-50 split. You know, they need to go, too. That's not what we voted these people in to do. We voted them in to fight for the full permanent fund. And they're not doing the job. They need to go. The voters need to get them out of there. Well, and I think it's not just voters. I mean, you just said the legislators on the left. Again, Ray, I think this is a mistake to separate this out on a left-right dichotomy. I think that this is a problem with both people in with people in both parties. And really, it's not a left and a right, a conservative versus a liberal. This is more a pro-government spend versus a pro-private sector spend. And we've got a lot of people out there wearing the elephant on their lapel who are pushing for more and more protections for the government spend over the public over the private sector. And I think that's I think that's a bigger part of the problem. Yeah, that's right. There's there's bad apples on the right too. That's what I'm saying. They need to go. The people are the power with the pen. They need to vote these suckers out. Yeah. Well, I think we've seen a lot of polling that's gone back and forth here over the last six, seven months, where it has shown that Alaskans care about the size and scope of the PFD. Maybe the politicians don't. Maybe they say, well, you poor pitiful children, you just don't understand. But we saw the Chamber of Commerce uh, um, uh, poll. We saw another poll from Dittman. There was another poll from, uh, I can't remember which one it was, but they all basically ask people about the size of the PFD. And historically, that goes back again and again and again, and people want the full statutory PFD. That's what they want. That's what they That's feel right. is owed to them. And yet the politicians continue to ignore it. And I think they, I think quite honestly, they will continue to ignore it at their at their own peril in the long run. That's right. Well, when they're kicking the cans, singing a Willie Nelson song, they'll know what they did wrong. Exactly. The people are going to vote them out. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, thank you uh, for calling in, Ray. I appreciate it. Uh, Paul in the chat room does make the point, though, on the Dittman poll that uh, that they wanted the full PFD, but they also didn't want new taxes. And if they were forced and faced with a question of "Would you like a full PFD or new taxes?" they they chose the they chose the uh, lesser PFD uh, over the top of it. So it, you know, again, it all depends on how the question is asked. And you could see that those folks who are on the pro government spend have done a very good job of framing the question between "Do you want a PFD or do you want to pay taxes?" And I think that's a that's a misnomer. Um, Tuckerman Babcock in the chat room a little bit earlier, I think, said it very succinctly. 
uh, when he said the PFD is 100% paid for by realized earnings of the royalty payments set set aside in the permanent fund. There is no trade-off with taxes or government spending, except in the minds of those big government advocates who want to gorge on more permanent fund earnings. And that's the truth. The the, the PFD is 100% paid for by the earnings of the royalty payments set aside. Because government can't live within their means, that's not that's not on us. Well, maybe it is because we put these people in office. But the bottom line is is that that's what we want. Let's go over to the phones here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, hi. This is Brady from Las Vegas. Hello, Brady. What's on your mind? How are you doing today, Michael? Good. Hey, um. We're talking about budget spending and all this spending. I, I have to ask you personally, are you in favor of arming the Ukraine and sending billions of dollars to the Ukrainian regime and not doing nothing for our southern border? Um, I don't think that that's a I, I, I would not say it's an either or thing, Brady. I am in favor of helping to arm Ukraine, but I'm also in favor of protecting our southern border. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. Um, are you in favor of arming neo-Nazis under the Zelensky regime? <laughs> I don't think they're neo-Nazis. So, I mean, the answer is no, I'm not in yes, favor of are. arming neo-Nazis. Yes, they are. Okay. I mean, I, I guess cite your sources, Brady, because I don't think that... Uh, 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 the Azov Battalion. Okay. The Azov Battalion. You keep going back okay, to the, the one single, uh, you know, one single battalion here where people say these guys are neo-Nazis. Uh, 60% of their military is in the Azov Battalion or Svoboda, or the Bandera movement. They are the Nazis that they've fought. Bandera is their leader that they've followed since Germany in the 1940s. Their arm patches on their shoulder are from the Panzer Division of Himmler's military division of the tank division. That's the patches they wear on their shoulders. Are you in favor of that? I, you know, I don't believe I, I, you know, I mean, again, you can read into a lot of things, Brady. I don't believe that the that the people of the Ukraine as a whole are neo-Nazis. Could there be neo? Sure, there's neo-Nazis here in the U.S. too. Uh, but are they in control of the government? I mean, first of all, Zelensky's a Jew, so I'm trying to wrap my head around that idea. Um, and of course, uh, you're, you're talking about a whole country being attacked um, uh, for an excuse on that point. Uh, so, but again, I don't, uh, I don't believe that they are neo-Nazis. So to me, it's not an either or, uh, black or white. I think we could protect our southern borders, and I think we should still support the people of Ukraine. That's just my personal opinion on that. Thank you for your call, Brady. Let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, Michael. This is Melissa Imosa. Hello. How are you doing this morning? You know, just another beautiful day in paradise. What can I say? What's on your mind today, Melissa? You know, yeah, I got to call and rile you up a little bit more, poke a little bit more at you on the Ukraine issue. Okay. Just because I have family on both sides. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I am literally, and I, I'm with you on this. The citizens, Russian and Ukrainian, have done nothing, honestly are receiving nothing, and are being swept aside. I want you to look up Maripol on I know you're going to not look this up, but on Infowars.com, there's a video from a live citizen that's been reporting in Ukraine for the last 50-some days that they've been doing this. Mm-hmm. And there is actual video evidence of the Azov Italian banding, handcuffing, and executing Ukrainian citizens in Maripol. 
Okay. That's all I want you to look up. Well, I'll take I, a I'm look at it. I'm not going to go into many more conspiracy theories than that, but sure. just look that up. There's plenty of video documentation for that. Well, and there's also video documentation of the Wagner Group, which is made up of Russian convicts and mercenaries that's under the employ of Russia. They're doing the same yep, thing in some, doing the same thing in Buka. So, I mean, they're bad people in in every area. I'm not saying they're not, but to say yeah. that the people of Ukraine well, are all Nazis is, is is idiocy. Yeah. The governments over there are completely corrupt. Anybody who lives in those countries knows that governments don't care about their people. And that's the biggest thing. Zelensky was a paid actor, and Putin is a tyrant. I mean, they're both terrible people. But we made Putin rich, rich so to say, in a way, because we've been kind of vamping up his oil after the Keystone and stuff. We facilitated funds on that side, but now we're facilitating funds on the other side. We're not advocating for peace, Michael. That's the problem. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Melissa. Thank you for uh, calling in this morning and uh, sounding off on this. Look, the U.S. has definitely got its share of blame on this. I mean, we should not have been dangling NATO citizen or NATO uh, uh, membership into Ukraine. That was uh, something that was uh, that was uh, already been decided by treaty that they would not be eligible for that. So we've got our share of blame in this. But uh, again, we did not open. We did not. Uh, we did not roll the first tanks across the border. Let's put it that way. Russia's definitely got their. Uh, their uh, uh, blame, share of the blame on this as well. Uh, and regardless of whether there's a few bad actors in there does not mean that you go in and trash the whole country. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, and you're right. <clears throat> the governments are corrupt. Uh, let's face it. All governments are corrupt. Even those here in the United States, we can point to sh- story after story of the abusive powers in, uh, I- at various levels, whether it's federal, state, local, county, uh, we can, you know, we could point to that, but that doesn't mean that you throw all the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I mean? Um, but again, so while there may be some neo-Nazi elements in in Ukraine, just as there is in America, just as there is still in Germany, doesn't mean that you uh, you basically give the go ahead and the nod for another country to come in and basically violate the sovereignty of another. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, let's go over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Carlene and Kodiak. Hello, Carlene. Hello, Michael. About the Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, stock market has gone hundreds of points, yes, gone, gone down yesterday and today. And then there was a clip about the generals in the Ukraine, and they're going to send our diplomats back to Ukraine because they feel it's safe. Mm-hmm. But um, generals are calling it our war, my war, our war. And I watched again the darkest hour of Winston Churchill, and uh, Winston Churchill called FDR and asked for help. And FDR let him know that the U.S. signed a neutrality clause, so they couldn't send anything over there. They couldn't send anything on ships. Right. And FDR, Winston Churchill said. Well, then what about those planes then that you promised us that uh, we bought from you, that you we borrowed the money from you to buy? So FDR says about the only thing I can do is get them to the Canadian border and you can send horses over and pull the planes across to Canada. And then um, he says, well, heck, they're on wheels. You can, you can shove the airplanes across the border, pull them across. But the thing is, is um, 
there was a neutrality clause, and we didn't get involved in World War II, you know, until Japan. But um, this, and then another thing that's contradictory, Michelle Bachman was talking on the Jan Markell show on Sunday, and she said it's really contradictory that the U.S. is having Russia negotiate with Iran on behalf of us. Why are we doing this if we're at war with Russia? Because we're not. Well, we're not at we're not at war with Russia. That's the whole point here. That's why we haven't created an exclusionary zone or a no-fly zone or anything else. This is Ukraine that's at war with Russia. Now we may be supplying them with weapons, arms, whatever, but we are not at war with Russia. Now I didn't realize that Russia was negotiating with Iran on our behalf, but um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 we are not at war with Russia. That's the that's that's the whole. It may seem like splitting sto- splitting hairs, but that's the truth. I mean, that's that's what the proxy war is all about: being able to basically say that's not us, that's them. Um, and it's the same thing that happened in Vietnam. It's the same thing that happened in Korea. It was a proxy war. Well, I mean, later on in Korea, it became a direct action against China. But before that, it was a proxy war. Yes, so I'm wondering why the stock market has gone down two days in a row like this. Well, you know, it's all based on consumer confidence, Carlene, and that's the thing. And when consumers aren't confident and you've got a combination of high inflation, still post-COVID stuff and everything else, it is, uh, it's, it's all problematic. And when it's based on confidence, that's why things go down. Um, but I appreciate your call, Carlene. I'm up against the break. I got to go. So we're going to be back with more. Chris Story is going to be joining us here in a hot minute. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Getting our life coaching lesson up next right here on the uh, big radio program. Don't go anywhere. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Ready to uh, rock and roll. Uh, with Chris Story, who's going to be joining us in a hot second here, and we'll get uh, his take on, well, whatever he wants to talk about. Um, we'll get our weekly life coaching lesson in and everything else. The things with Ukraine, I mean, it is definitely not a cut-and-dried situation. There, Like I said before, there is plenty of blame to go around. Um, and, uh, you know, again, are are there neo-Nazis? I'm sure there are. Uh, is it the Azov Battalion? I mean, possibly, likely. Um, does that mean that the whole country is corrupt? Mm, I don't think so. Do they deserve what they've got? No. Do they deserve the Russian aggression? No. I mean, if Russia had been serious about this, it would have only pushed in on military targets. Instead, it started bombing civilians and doing everything else. Uh, I mean, there again, there's tons of blame to go around in all directions right now. Um, and uh, And I think, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, you know, no, nobody's going to be the winner on this when it's all said and done. Let's just put it that way. Nobody's going to be the winner. Um, all right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. 
man, I don't want no tension against our Russian brothers. They're human also. Well, it's true. Um, and I feel the ones that are really losing here are the, um, you know, are the civilians on both sides and really probably the conscripts on, on, uh, on well, especially on the Russian side, the conscripts, the stories of guys basically being drafted and conscripted and getting 30 days worth of training and being straight, sent straight into the meat grinder without, you know, proper support and everything. I mean, it's been really shocking to see some of the things that have, that have gone on there. Um, and, and, you know, the reactions again on both sides with the, with the, the shooting of mass shooting of civilians and whether it's the, whether it's the Azov or whether it's the Wagner group or whether whoever it is, it's, it's definitely troubling, definitely troubling. Um, but, uh, again, I think in the long run, nobody wins. Uh, (laughs) The Ukrainians are losing, not Russia. Stop the Russian phobia propaganda, says Brady. I don't think it's Russian phobia. Uh, I mean, I think Russia has taken it on the chin. Uh, I think they've shown themselves not to be the powerhouse that everybody feared that they were. I mean, this may be, that may be the one thing that comes out of this is that everybody sees and understands that Russia may not be the, uh, the, the powerhouse that everybody expected them to be. Um, and to hold Putin up as a guy who is uh, obviously the savior of mankind, which a lot of people on that side of the uh, that side of the, the the aisle are saying, is that he's defending us against the new world order and every. The guy's an authoritarian. I mean, he is an authoritarian. He's a dictator. Look at what they've done to the dissent in their own streets. Uh, this is not this is not the guy that you want to hold up as the light of the world and say this guy is the example that we want to follow. No, I, I don't think so. Does that mean Zelensky's the guy that we want? No, I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying um, it. This is not the guy that you want to pattern everything you got going on up against. It's just it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Um. All right, we're about ninety seconds out. I think we got Chris Story on the line. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Michael. Great to hear your voice uh, in I, my ears once again. You're, yeah, it's good to have you as well in my ears once again. Uh, so, um, I don't know, did you, you've been, you've been commenting to me this whole time about the Ukraine thing. Do you want to talk about Ukraine before we do an uplift or do you just want to do the uplift? What do you want to do? No, no, no. I, yeah, I want to talk about, um, your, your own personal return on investment. No, I just was listening to your call from uh, Las Vegas and then, uh, the Valley and, uh, then causing Kodiak and was just thinking about it. Yeah, this is a, no, it's a hot topic. I simply find anything that the Biden administration does right now to be certainly worth circumspect. I mean, look at how we withdrew from Afghanistan in such a, a heinous way uh, under his watch and, and all focus now shifted from COVID and lockdowns and mandates to Ukraine. It's just the friend of mine said to me that um, the best thing Putin ever did for Biden was start this war so he didn't have to, um, such that he could divert it, all of our attention from inflation and all the other the miseries of his economic policies and his world policies are focused on Putin. But Putin is gaining his strength simply because there's a lack of leadership. There's a vacuum, yeah. and he's filling it. And so Absolutely. anybody looking for a leader is going to find one there because right. you do not find one in the White Be House. Be careful when you ask for a strong man because you may get one. That's the bottom line on that. All right, hold the line. Here we go. Jumping back into it, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. <laughs>
All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, we're continuing our two on a Tuesday, two on a Tuesday. Uh, ready to get our weekly uplift from our life coach, the positivity guru, the man from Homer, Mr. Christopher Story. Hello, my friend. How are you? I like the way that sounds coming out of your mouth, Michael. And I'm very well. That's the point. That's the whole point, my friend, is to make you happy. Um, mm-hmm. done. Uh, done, 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 and done. Thanks for the call. That was it. That's all I had to do today. Um, all right. So, uh, you've been away for a couple weeks. Curse you story. I'm assuming you're tanned and, and relaxed yeah. and all ready to go. Beautifully tanned, beautifully golden, like a marshmallow. Think about a marshmallow just prior to it being sandwiched between golden grams and, and uh, chocolate. That, that's me right now. <laughs> golden and delicious. I would say picture a marshmallow right before it bursts into flames. That is Chris story. <laughs> that is it right there. I wish. Actually, I'm a little probably mostly looking ghostly like a marshmallow pre-tan, but uh, my face, we had a great time, Michael. There's this little island in the Gulf of Mexico called Cedar Key, on which, uh, of course, is the aisle I placed the setting for the Making of Man book, now available on Amazon and Audible, as recorded by Michael Dukes. And so I went, went back to my, my childhood home of Cedar Key, which is my home away from Homer, and had a wonderful, glorious two weeks, and uh, it was fantastic. Visited with my 96-year-old uncle, who is as sharp as a tack, and hopeful that uh, those genes have passed down to me. He's my great uncle. Hopefully that they've, they've passed on to me, and I'll be doing the show when you and I are 96. Right, absolutely. Uh, I hope to be. Mm-hmm. I plan on it, my friend. I plan on it for sure. Um, yeah, we'll be two crusty old farts just doing our thing uh, on the air still at 96. Back, remember back in the day when we were young, like, you know, 50? Um, yeah, so it'll be great. All right, well, Chris, um, you always come in with some great advice, some great things, some thought-provoking stuff. So uh, what is our what is our lesson for today, Teach? Hit us with the lesson for today. All right, I want to talk about, and I think this applies to life as in investing, and that is your personal return on investment. You know, we're, we're partway through this year. So you've, you've either invested more in yourself, you've invested into your future, your future fortune, or you haven't yet for this year, or you're stagnating, or you're growing. It's one of the two. And I think it's a really good time to stop, take a, a deep breath, and evaluate what is your personal return on investment you're looking for. That's the investment in your in your life, but also in investing, literally in investing for a return for your future fortune. So when you think about it, uh, Paulo Paulo Coelho wrote in his book, The Alchemist, he said that everyone's in search of their own personal legend. And I've applied this to investing. And I'll I'll describe it in using real estate, for example. There are formulas and there are equations that we use to calculate the relative worth of a property based on its return on investment. Mm -hmm. Um, In marketing, you see the same thing. There's an ROI based on ad spend, et cetera. In life, though, you need to calculate the return on investment in your habits, investment in your thoughts, beliefs, and your ideals. And then ask yourself, are they serving you? Are you living your personal legend. So when I advise an investor on a piece of property, we, we do look at the rate of return. We do an income approached uh, assessment or valuation of a property because you have to. You can't bury your head in the sand and go, oh, I don't care if this building's making money or if this investment's going to pay off because it, I, it fits my, my purpose in life. Well, maybe, but you need to know 
the, you need to have a rubric by which to measure this actual investment. Will it return money? But then you have to look closer and say, wait a minute, someone with an enormous salary, say 500000 a million dollar a year salary, are going to have a different expectation or tolerance of a return on investment from a property than somebody at the lower end of the pay scale. So somebody at the lower end of the pay scale may say, look, I need this investment to pay me now. I can't wait 10 years. I can't just enjoy the depreciation and the tax benefits and breaks that it's scrubbing my other income sources. I need this to return something now. So everybody's return on investment in a real property is going to vary. So your results may vary. Your personal return is what matters most. And isn't that true in life? You can look and say pride of ownership. It's a tangible asset in investing in real estate, having pride of ownership. But when and if you find yourself upside down, uh, pride of ownership goes out the window. So you have right. to have a real measurement, a real ability to get a return on investment. When you think about life, you've invested X number of years at a career. In, in a relationship, at a job, whatever it is. And you have to ask yourself, is this measuring up to my personal expectations of where I want to be and where I want to go? And so again, I guess the message is if you're using somebody else's metric by which to measure the success or results of your life, you'll probably always come up short. So you have to look at it through your own lens, so to speak. You have to You have to understand that. So how do we how do we do that? I mean, how do we how do we focus up on what, you know, again, through our perspective, not through somebody else's? Because we can't live through think, somebody else's perspective. I mean, yeah. that, that never works, right? But so many people, so many of us do, maybe not in all aspects of life, but in some, we're, we're kind of measuring our, our results against uh, somebody else that's in the same industry, for example. Or uh, as, a, as a property investor, I will look at our portfolio. In fact, I spent a lot of time thinking about our portfolio while I was gone, and, and Tiffany and I are uh, measuring two or three possible investments we'll yet make this year. And and then I start thinking about uh, in books that I'm reading and articles and Fortune and Entrepreneur and other uh, books on real estate and investing, and, and I'm looking and it's going, my God, you know, we're not even to 20 million yet. We, we Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I'm measuring our, us against, say, Donald Trump or, you know, Bob Smith over here. No, no. Remember, what are we looking for? What is the cash return we are looking for or the passive income? And have to dial it back and say, hold on a second. Let's recalibrate. Let's go back to our personal expectations and our personal rewards and desires. There are lifestyle properties, taking it back to real estate for a minute. There are lifestyle properties that you may wish to own that will uh, afford you a lifestyle that is different than just simply counting doors, which is a very trendy way of measuring investments today. How many doors do you have? Who cares if it's not pleasing you? If your <laughs> business owns you and you don't own it uh, and you're running ragged, um, Jarek Robbins is Tony Robbins' son. He just became president of success.com and success magazine, all the other properties for success. And he said throughout his coaching of executives and top performing business owners and entrepreneurs around the world, he still sees three major concerns, heart attacks, depression, and bankruptcy and divorce. That's four. It, it's all, it doesn't matter how much you've got if you're constantly measuring yourself against somebody who has more, or if you're just self-satisfied that you have more than that guy. And, but yet, yeah, wait a minute, are you meeting your own expectations? And so it's measuring your own personal desires and goals against your own performance versus those around you or expectations set upon you by society or family. 
Okay, well, <clears throat> talk to me like I'm a five-year-old and break this down. How do I go about doing that? Michael, you're looking good today now. Um, <laughs> it, it really starts with just acknowledging, I think, personally, what do you want? And I always suggest people start with an inventory, a personal inventory. What do I want health-wise? What do I want wealth-wise? And what do I want for prosperity? And there is a difference between wealth and prosperity. But come back first to health. Under the category of health, I always encourage people to look at the relationships because that is a massive part of your overall health. We know this. If you look at any of the blue zone uh, research that's been done and where people live longer and not just live longer, but healthier and happier, have community, have relationships, and have those personal interconnectivities right at the heart of it. So that really matters. Where is your health and where do you want it to be? And then second is wealth. And wealth is your income today. That's the money you're earning today. It's the job. It's the career. It's where you're spending your time and you're focusing uh, a majority of your time if you're in your working years. Where is your wealth? Is it where you want it to be? And how can you begin to work on your future fortune today, even while focusing on your job today, your tomorrow's future fortune, which is your prosperity? Buckminster Fuller said prosperity is the amount of money you have coming forward or going forward in life without working for it. That's where your investment portfolio or your side hustle, your business will come into play. It's uh, separate maybe from your work life, which is your wealth life. Okay. Um, and, and I think, again, we need to take, I think the beginning of all this is the inventory. Um, yes. And I mean, because if you don't know where you're going, you don't, you know, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you don't, it doesn't matter where you go at that point, right? It, yeah, exactly. Just like for Alice in Wonderland, but also if you don't know where you are, where are you starting from? And it's okay to look back and say, you know, this is where I was. Here's where I am today. Looking back further, here's where I thought I would be today. I remember being extremely disappointed uh, about five years ago. And I did, a, I did an inventory, kind of really took a look at our portfolio. And I was very disappointed because I expected to be further ahead at that point. What I hadn't taken into my calculus going back further, what I couldn't have projected was the utter collapse of 2008, 9, and 10, and the rebuilding of an economy where Bear Stearns would go under and Goldman Sachs and all these. I mean, the global uh, meltdown that took place, that wasn't in my future forecasting. So looking back then, I said, wait a minute, hold on. Here's where we are. Okay, I'm happy with where we are. Yes, it's not where I want it to be, but I'm happy, and here's where we're going to go. And then we've taken now, with the wisdom of hindsight, we look at everything from what you've been talking about in your program here today, Ukraine, from other geopolitical t considerations to inflation, uh, our own uh, leadership, if you will, the countrywide, statewide, borough, citywide, take all those things into consideration, and we will not be caught flat-footed again, best I can tell. But all of that is to say, if you don't know where you are, you don't acknowledge where you are, and you want to say, kind of admit to yourself, here is where I am today, and here's where I want to go, you have a really difficult time with this personal inventory, which means as you reflect on your return on your investment and all these areas of life, you're going to be off kilter a little bit. So I suggest taking some time with you and saying, okay, this is where I'm at, here's where I want to go. And I suggest those three categories, your health, your wealth, and your prosperity. Those things you need to be extremely honest with yourself about. Okay, so after I've taken the personal inventory of these three things and I've kind of lined out where I want to go, what my what my destination mm -hmm. is, how do I apply that as far as return on investment for the things that I'm doing or the stuff that I'm investing my life into? 
you apply it by setting a strategy that you can live with and buy that will help you succeed going forward. So it's an actual plan. So I, I like to use the, um, the acronym DAD. So you define for yourself what it is you wish to have accomplished, do in this life, starting with today, and then set an action plan. The A in data is action plan. You got to take action. You have to be active. It's not passive. You have to be willing to do the work, and, and there's no get-rich-quick schemes ever that I've seen that have worked. You've got to do the work, and, and it will take some effort on your part. Again, I come back and say, make sure you own this process. Then it doesn't own you, but do, do put the action into the, your system, and then decide. And the, the D for decide essentially is just every day you have an opportunity to decide and make decisions to follow your own definition and support the actions that you're taking to move yourself forward to where you want to go. So define for yourself what it is you want, act on that definition, and then make decisions daily that support both what you've defined and what you're already doing. Because we can self-sabotage so quickly in health, in wealth, and in prosperity. Oh, this this uh, interest zero interest credit card uh, was fantastic. And we run up a, a debt that then turns into an 18% revolving debt that we can't get out of. All right. of those things are s- sort of self-fulfilling prophecies that if you had acted in accordance with what you've defined for your life and made a decision to tear up that credit card or to tear up that application, um, you would have been so much better off. So everything, like I say, from consumer debt, which falls under your wealth category, to health, what we eat. Zig Ziglar always said some people are digging their own grave with their teeth. And so think about what, how are we living? What is our health going to look like? And if we haven't learned anything over these past two years um, about health, well, we haven't been paying attention. It matters uh, wholly, along with your wealth, which is your income. And so uh, I like to tell a story about this family that I used to know that were school teachers. And by summer, uh, they would make they would go into full-on production of their own little jewelry line. Right. And by winter, they would sell it off. And uh, they were making a, a, a small fortune on the side. So it doesn't take a lot of your time, and, and you don't necessarily have to uh, spend it away from your family. You could work together like that family did and making a future fortune right in your own kitchen. All right. Uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer. Final thoughts here, Chris, as I let you wrap up. Uh, some of these things are already outlined in your backyard million. I mean, some of this stuff is is kind of, yeah, you know, I'm sure. recognizing some of it. So if folks want to get more details, they can get your book, The Backyard Millionaire, which is specifically about real estate investment. But at the same time, it tells a fascinating story on embettering, on bettering your life. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. It's funny. Uh, we had our two of our older grandkids, uh, nine and no, 11 and 13 in our car for some of the trip uh, down in Florida. And uh, we listened to that. They were they and they couldn't wait to hear it again. Michael, and then we listened to another book on tape with a different narrator. And they said, we wish he had read it. We grandpa, we wish that uh, Michael had read this book, too. So you <laughs> won them over. But yeah, I guess I would just point you towards this one quote from Mark Twain. He who does not read is not better off than he who cannot read. So read your way to success, whatever book, be it mine or others, and invest in yourself. All right. Well, we appreciate that. Chris Story, the man from Homer. You can find him at ilovehomeralaska.com. Am I right? Did I do it right? Yes, sir. Okay, awesome. good. I finally changed it. I finally changed it up on the screen so that you could people can see it up there and, and uh, do it. Thank you. Uh, and, of course, you can find his books on Amazon, and you can find a couple of them on Audible as well. 
uh, where I have read them for him, and it's uh, fun stuff. It's it's good stuff. I love it. So, all right. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you uh, coming on board. Thank you for sharing with us, as always. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. All right, folks. We're uh, up against the break. We're getting ready to uh, do one final segment today. One final segment that uh, I don't, you know what, I don't even care. Whatever you want to talk about. You want to, whatever you want to talk about. Kathleen in the chat room just said, I built my house off a 0% credit card, never had a mortgage. Well, luckily you never missed a payment and it never rolled into that 18 or 20% category, Kathleen. Good job for you. Good job. Congratulations. All right, my friends, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Suppository. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we are in the break right now. Um, and I'm going to go back and read some of the comments here. Uh, some of them anyway. <laughs> uh, ultimately, in the end... Uh, says David, I think we can all agree that we don't want American soldiers on the ground in Ukraine. It's not our war. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Let them duke it out. That's, a, that's you know what? Better in their backyard than my backyard, I guess, is what I'm saying on that. Um, let's see. Uh, better prepare in case of multiple world issues. Stock up, says Greg. I mean, that's exactly it, right? I mean, you prepare for the worst and hope for the best, and all your surprises will be happy ones. So just make sure you got a little bit of everything on your shelf just in case. I mean, that's a good hedge against inflation and everything else. I mean, if you've got it there and you can't afford to buy it, it's good to know that you've got it there for sure. Um, uh, let's see. <clears throat> Speaking of profit, conservatives are profiting from Musk's buy of Twitter already. Tucker Carlson and the Babylon Bee got reinstated on Twitter and a bunch of libs are already rage quitting. Well, good for them, you know? I mean, that's the thing. It all works It all works well until it starts working against them, right? The thing is, is that Musk has already said he's not going to deplatform anybody. He believes, like I do, that the answer to speech you don't agree with is more speech. Which I found super cool. Super cool. Um, all right. Um, what else we got here? Uh, oh man, there's so much. There's so much uh, not factual stuff going on here. Uh, Zelensky is a cousin to George Soros. Nope, disproven. Sorry. Um, how hard do you want to strive for material possessions? How much deferred maintenance is acceptable? Says Robbie. Well, I mean that's the thing. I think what what Chris wasn't talking about. I mean, again, there's a difference between um, you know prosperity and um, and wealth, there is a difference between those two things. There are many people that I've known that have been very prosperous that have not been very wealthy. Um, I, and I think it's a decision. You're right. Anybody that does everything just for money's sake, I think is, uh, you know, they're misguided as far as that goes. Um, uh, what else here? Going back down to the thing. Um, 
watch and listen to real news happening. The vaccine could be a biological. I, you know, Herman, I know you keep going on and on about this, and I know we, you know, it just it's not something that I want to talk about right now. I'm sorry that that's something that you're focused on primarily, like every day, all day, every day. But it's not something that I, I mean, I've, I'm not taking the vax. I don't want the vax. None of my family has the vax. I'm not interested in it. If somebody else wants to take it, good for them. They can do whatever they want. But I just think you're wasting a lot of energy over nothing at this point. So I can't use my keypad with gloves on. The fuel prices hurt. Yeah, I've been there, Robbie. I have definitely been there. I feel your pain for sure. I definitely feel your pain. Um... All right. Uh, what else we got going on? Anything new that I need to do here? Um, uh, all governments are corrupt. Yep, we talked about that. Um, I'm just, I'm all the way back at the top of the page now. People do know that everything you watch on YouTube is true, right? <laughs> Yes, everything I watch on YouTube or Rumble or, you know, Grind or Twitch or Rumble or or Shudder or whatever I'm watching it on, they all, it's all true. It's all true. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess that's it. I, I went through all the comments. I went through all the comments. Good for me today. Good for me today. I made it all the way through. Uh, coming up on tomorrow's program, we're going to have um, Ron Gillum is going to be in hour one, and then uh, Mike Shower is going to be in hour two. I'm working on getting uh, Nick Beggage on Thursday, and maybe um, JKT as well. Uh, that's it. Uh, simple good morning for me, says Timothy. I'm running late. I'll have to listen later. That is the benefit of the uh, of the podcast, is it not, Timothy? Thank you for checking in with us this morning. We appreciate that. That's that's going on. When are you going to get into the root cause of the state's bloated spending in light of one, the most dangerous state with three losing school stores? Where was two? You messed two in there somewhere. I'm just, you know, asking for a friend. We've gotten into this over and over and over again, Harold. We know what the root cause of the state's bloated spending is. It is politicians who prioritize government spend over the public, over the private sector that believe that government can do everything right and we can't do anything for ourselves. That's, that is the root cause of the state's bloated spending. Yes, we are one of the most dangerous states in the nation. Yes, we are losing school scores and whatever number two was in the middle there. I'm sure that's probably right as well. The root cause is people. That's been the problem the whole time. People. Hey, that means it's time. Let's get back into it. One final segment of the show today. Phone lines are open. We'll open up the phone lines. Uh, any you know, any topic, whatever you want to talk about. I'm sure somebody's going to want to talk about something that, whatever. Lines are open. 
907-433-3150. The Pivotel call-in lines powered by our friends at Pivotel and Satellite West. Speaking of Satellite West, I have to mention one of the other sponsors of the show this morning, and that is the Bivy Stick. And you might be asking yourself, Michael, what is the Bivy Stick? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you all about it. The Bivy Stick is a small piece of tech. It's a small little device. It's about half the size of your cell phone. I, I mean, I have it here right in my pocket. I could just pull it out and show you how small it is. It's tiny. I mean, it is a tiny little device. The Bivy Stick is a small device that you tether to your phone via Bluetooth. You download the app from the App Store, the Google Play Store, and you connect it to your phone, and your phone becomes a satellite communication device. Now, you don't use voice. It can't make phone calls, but it can send text messages, and it can send emails from anywhere in the world to anywhere in the world that has service, right? This thing is tiny. It uh, turns your phone into a short burst data device. And uh, it uh, retails for $199. $199. There's no activation fees. They've got plans as low as $14 a month if you go for the safety plan, this, you know, year long safety plan. It's like $14 a month. And it is the best piece of kit you will have in your emergency gear, period. And that could be like a fancy emergency bug out bag, or it could just be I throw this in the glove box of my car to make sure that I can always be in contact. So if I'm driving up and down the highways and I have a flat somewhere between Cantwell and Healy, say, where there's no cell service, I can still let people know where I am or somewhere down near Hope or wherever where there's no cell service. I know that I can be in contact with whoever needs me. And on top of that, not only can I send text messages and emails, I can actually drop pins on a map for people to say, I am here. And if you want to follow my progress, I can send it to continuously drop pins, you know, from 10 minutes apart to two minutes apart, depending on how fast I'm traveling, whatever I want to do. Uh, on top of that, it gives me weather forecasts, regular forecasts, aviation forecasts, marine forecasts, and everything else. And it allows me to stay in, connect, in connection with the people that I care about. Not to mention, like, disasters. I mean, you know, earthquakes, floods, tsunamis, d- zombie apocalypses. Whatever, if the cell towers go down or if there's a huge amount of cellular congestion because everybody's trying to call everybody at once because something happened, the bivy is still up and rolling because as long as you can see the sky, you can talk to people because it uses the Iridium satellite network to communicate. Um, The cost of entry, the monthly fees, the continuing expanding features make the bivy stick the number one choice for SBD, short burst data devices, out there on the market. And, uh, I mean, everything from five continuous days of battery usage on a single charge to the no activation fee to the low monthly plans with rollover, by the way. You know, you get that lowest monthly plan and you only get, you know, eight or nine or ten credits a month to use for text or whatever. If you don't use it, it rolls over into the next month. This thing is awesome. So if you own a car or a boat or a plane, snow machine, train, submarine, unicycle, hang glider, you should have a bivy stick with you because it will always keep you in contact. Find out more by going to SatelliteWest.com or stop in on one of the local dealers. I know several listeners have already picked them up for themselves. 
You can find him at Arctic Fire and Safety in Fairbanks, at Lundy Marine Electronics in Dutch Harbor, at South Central Radar on the Spit in Homer, at Communications North in Seward, Radar Alaska in Kodiak, and at Safe and Sound in Wasilla, Anchorage, or Soldotna. Any one of the Safe and Sound locations should have more information on the Bivy Stick. B-I-V-Y, Bivy Stick. Check it out. Thank you for sponsoring the program. All right, uh, back over to the phones here as we get ready to wrap up the show for today, see what you guys have to say, and let's start over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Mike. This is Mark and care of the Alaska Freedom Council. Hello, Mark. What's on your mind? Uh, well, uh, I want Alaskans to have the right of defense. The Swedish Lund University report makes out that the outer shot is, in fact, not a vaccine, but a, a kill shot, a bio-warfare weapon, and I want Alaskans to have the right of uh, defense of all these people perpetrating this. this the, the state is jumping in on this and helping to poison our people, Michael. So what's Thank your... Thank you. So what... what <laughs> Man, I love that. Don't you just love that? I... Did you, it, 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 uh, um, so what do you suggest? I'm just asking. If the information's out there and available and it's being widely publica- publicized and, 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 you know, what 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 more do we want at this point? What more do we want? That's what I want to know. Um, all right. Uh, I got a new topic. Who's seen, B- who's seen Bigfoot, says Dwayne. <laughs> One, two, three, go. <laughs> Who's seen Bigfoot? Did you see that? I was on the Discovery Plus app the other day. Uh, I got the Discovery Plus app because my wife, I like the History Channel and uh, some of the travel shows, and then my wife likes the true crime stuff. But I was I was scrolling through, and there was an actually a section about Alaska, and it had some of the different shows. And one of the shows is Bigfoot in Alaska. I mean, that's the actual title of the show. And um, I will admit, I did not watch any of it, but I did read the synopsis and I was like, wow, that's uh, what? Wow. <laughs> I mean, there, first of all, there's some crazy shows about Alaska. Anybody who thinks that people in the lower 48 don't want to find out more about Alaska have not looked at the plethora of shows that are on the television that feature Alaska. Now, the problem is is that none of them are real. None of them are true. <laughs> none of them are actual, factual, re- real shows. I mean, they call them reality shows, but they're I mean, I know, I was in three seasons of Ice Road Truckers, right? Now, if you blinked, you missed me. I was only in it for like 10 or 15 seconds an episode. But I did get an IMDb page out of it. Hey, go me, right? But if you go watch that show, you realize I mean, there is nothing, there's nothing real about any of those shows. How do I know? Because well, I worked on one. I saw. I saw how the. I saw how the sausage was made on the backside. Entertaining, absolutely. Um, real. Um, I mean, is it real adjacent? Maybe. So anyway, some of these shows just. But yeah, Bigfoot in Alaska. That was the one that I saw the other day. That I was like, oh, ah, oh. But it's on TV, so it must be real. Must be real. You have to believe it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, it was the beard? 
I don't know what the beard was, but good stuff. All right, my friends. Well, uh, that's it for today. We are ready to do another one tomorrow, 6 a.m. Come on board and join us then. Thanks for being part of it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Love one another. Live well. And be kind. That's all I can say today. Be kind to one another. We will see you tomorrow. All right. Um, I got one more line on hold. Why not? I got nothing else to do for the next five minutes. Over here we go. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Mike, you called me a liar. Don't you feel you should apologize to me? This is Mark in care of the Alaska Freedom Council in Fairbanks. I didn't call you a liar, Mark. What What did you You say? did last week. You checked the records. Oh, okay. Uh, last week I checked the records and... Um, I don't don't remember calling you a liar, Mark, but, you know, if you lied, then you are a liar. I don't remember that, but maybe I did. Possibly. I would only call you a liar if you said something was factually inaccurate. That's, and I wouldn't call you a liar. I would just say that that was wrong. So there you go, Mark. Um, get steamed up. Have another cup of, cup of coffee because I don't think you've had nearly enough today. Not nearly enough today. I know I haven't had enough coffee for today. I need more at this point. Uh, man, you know what? You can't make this kind of crazy up. You can't do it. This show, crazy. Crazy. Maybe I need to get caller ID. I'm not sure. Maybe I should do that. All right. Well, out of time. Gotta go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.